I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show. Brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. I'm Richard Anderson from Investors Chronicle. And I'm Charlene Goff from FT Money. And together, we'll be bringing you this week's financial lowdown in downloadable form. So Charlene, what have we got in the show this week? Well, today we have a real financial potpourri. Coming up, we ask whether the commercial property boom in the UK is coming to an end, and if so, where the new opportunities lie. We look at whether widening investment trust discounts are a good buy signal, and philanthropy, how you can cut your tax bill by giving to charity. And if you've got a subject you'd like us to tackle, you can email your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. But let's start with a look at rather an old news story that just refuses to go away. On August the 1st, Home Information Packs, or HIPs, should finally be introduced. Charlene, I thought these were meant to be introduced months ago. Well, you're right, they were. Um, It's supposed to come in in June, and these were basically packs that home sellers had to put together before they marketed their property. And they were due to come in, and every home seller, um, no matter how big or small your house was, had to have one. But right at the last minute, the government backtracked on that. It didn't have enough inspectors to put these packs together. And so now they're coming in on August the 1st, but it's a very stripped-down version, um, and it's only going to apply to four-bedroom or bigger houses. So if you've got a four-bedroom house, what is it exactly that you have to do? Well, from August the 1st, um, before you can list your property with an estate agent, you have to apply for one of these packs. You don't have to have everything ready, but you have to have applied. So you have to get an inspector around to assess how energy efficient your property is, and you also have to have sent off some other information, such as the leasehold and title deeds and that kind of thing. And your estate agent can help you put all that together, so you really just have to talk to them about it before you put your property on the market. And what about for those um, house sellers whose house is a little smaller or people who just uh, want to sell their flat? Do they have nothing to do? 
Not for the moment, no. This is only applying for four-bedroom houses or bigger, so anyone selling a smaller property than that doesn't have to worry at all about this for the moment. But the government has said that it wants to introduce it for people selling smaller properties at some point. It hasn't given any information when that might be. So for the moment, they're free of any obligation, but they might have to do something in the future. But is anyone actually going to take this very seriously? I mean, this has been dragging on for such a long time, and now we've finally got to a version that's pretty watered down. Well, you're right. I mean, it has become a bit of a joke in the industry. Um, Estate agents are saying it's going to happen, and they don't think there'll be any more sort of backtracking on that from the government. But whereas before, you know, they were launching big TV campaigns and advertising and promoting this and making sure everyone knew about it, this time it does come in on August 1st. It will be a much more sombre affair. They're not willing to put any more money in the marketing of this, and so I think it's just going to come in very quietly. And remember, you can get all the latest money news at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come in the programme is now the time to be buying investment trusts and how you can give your money away tax efficiently. But first, what's going on in the UK commercial property market? Well... Commercial property has been the darling of the fund management world for a couple of years now, with tens of new funds being launched onto the market. But in recent weeks, investors have been cashing in their holdings with abandon. So, is the love affair with UK commercial property finally over? And, if so, where do the new opportunities lie? I spoke with Simon Critchlow at Seven Dials Consulting to find out. Simon, investors have been pulling out, as I understand it, from UK commercial property funds in recent weeks. Could you just explain why that is? I think it's a combination of things. I think, first of all, people are aware that they've had an extremely good run in the UK and they're nervous that that won't continue. And secondly, I think that there's been a big push to encourage people to diversify more internationally. So I think it's a combination of those two things. In terms of of international exposure, I know a a lot of fund managers, certainly the big names, have been launching Far East property funds. Uh, Could you just talk about the opportunities in the East? Well, I think the Far East needs to be described in two distinct regions. First is Japan, and the rest is, of course, Far Eastern, excluding Japan. The stories are quite different. I think if you look at Japan, you're talking about a population which is relatively ageing, whereas in the Far East, that's not the case. It's a very young uh, demographic. So I think those two are, are, are different drivers. Clearly, in Japan, you've got extremely low interest rates and relatively robust yields, whereas in the Far East, I think you're looking at a much more of a structural shift in the markets, and clearly that is a much less efficient market than Japan. I think a lot of UK investors would certainly be slightly nervous of of going so far afield, perhaps rather unfamiliar with the, the Far East market. Are there any opportunities closer to home? We certainly think so. We think that Europe offers some terrific opportunities. And again, going back to that efficient word, we think that Europe is not a single market. There are lots of distinct sub-sectors and sub-regions. And if you've got the right expertise locally, which we think is key, then we think that those gains can be grabbed by savvy fund managers. So where in particular should we be looking then? Obviously the German economy is doing particularly well right now. Is that, is that the place to be? I certainly think Germany's got an awful lot um, to be said for it, and clearly its economic growth has uh, ticked up very nicely in the last 18 months and looking very strong. We're also very encouraged to see the stability and the prospects in the Scandinavian region, not forgetting France as well. So I think those three regions are the regions that we think uh, offer the greatest medium-term benefits. 
And are there lots of opportunities in terms of mutual funds for investors to gain exposure to those regions? We've seen an explosion in number of funds in the last uh, three or four years in Europe. Uh, many of them have been institutional, but I think more and more mutual funds and unit trusts have been offered to, uh, to private individuals. I think one of the keys is to be clear as to what those different funds represent. Some offer much wider diversification than others, and I think that um, people need to be clear as to what they're buying and why. That was Simon Critchlow at Seven Dals Consulting. And to find out more about commercial property, just visit investorschronicle.co.uk. Coming up, how to reduce your tax bill and ease your conscience at the same time. But before that, we take a look at investment trust discounts, which have been widening all year. Some people see this widening of discounts as a good buy signal, while others view them as the sign of an impending market correction. The Investors Chronicle's John McLeod spoke with Simon Elliott at Winter Flood Securities to find out which is the more likely on this occasion. So, Simon, the discount's been waiting since the start of the year. Would you say that's right? Probably since the market setback in February. I mean, what we've seen over the last few years is that discounts have followed market movements, reflecting the fact that it's retail investors who are the marginal uh, buyers or sellers. But since February, it appears that they've been you know, spooked by the equity markets. And at the same time, discounts have opened up probably from a 6% to 9% average discount across the sector. There's evidence that if you buy in at a wide discount, that can give strong future returns because the discount could then narrow. But on the other hand, widening discounts could be a sign that the market's worried about a potential correction. So what do you think the position is? Yeah, I think on the medium term, the sector offers some good value opportunities uh, at the moment, particularly when um, there's been a real growth in discount control mechanisms over the last few years, and you've had a, an increase in um, arbitrage buying, so effectively discounts are supported at particular levels. So on a medium-term view, it, it does look like there is some good value. However, if we do see a market correction in the near term, then you could see discounts widen out even further. Where would you say the best opportunities lie then? Yeah, we think um, one of the sectors looks, that looks particularly a good value at the moment is um, Asia X Japan. Um, and there are several uh, well-managed funds there that have got good performance records um, that are available on double-digit discounts. Another opportunity that we'd highlight um, are funds where there's an equivalent uh, unit trust, um, again, with good performance records, such as Aberforth, smaller companies. That was Simon Elliott at Winterflood Securities. And finally today, we take a look at the world of charitable giving. An increasing number of prominent businessmen are donating large chunks of their fortune to charity. But this new wave of philanthropy is as much about business as it is about generosity. The FT's Ellen Kelleher spoke with Guy Davies at Barclays Wealth to find out more. So, Guy, there's been a real increase in charitable giving in the UK. Why do you think that is? I think the main reason is, is clearly the increase in wealth that we've seen over the last few years. A lot of it has been driven by the service sector. You've seen, obviously, within the, the financial sector, there is more money about. And in a sense, these are the new industrialists, the new Victorians, who are creating a large amount of money, money that they can't spend during their lifetimes. And so there's a growing interest to giving that money away. And also, you've seen quite a large number of high-profile people, celebrities like Elton John, you know, Diana, Princess of Wales, who are very much involved in, in charity and, and giving money away and helping and supporting. And I think that has caused a large amount of interest in, in the nation as a whole. And how do the new philanthropists, how does their approach to charity differ from those of, say, Andrew Carnegie and John Rockefeller? 
Uh, there's not a great deal of in the difference between the the old philanthropists, the Rockefellers. I mean, if you think in this country, you have the Wellcome Foundation that was very much based on the work that was done, you know, back in the last century, the beginning of the last century. So often you find now the new philanthropists will set up a foundation, a charitable trust um, from which they will uh, focus on specific needs. It can be benefiting the arts, education could be benefiting uh, specific causes such as AIDS uh, and the like. Uh, and I think the long-term sustainable giving is what the, the, a lot of the charities need. And if, if, it's, if it's overcoming uh, specific uh, medical issues in Africa, uh, it's not a question of just giving a lot of money up front. Uh, it's much more the long-term sustainable giving that, 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 that I think will uh, meet the needs of those particular causes. And how do you go about setting up a foundation? Do you have to register? Uh, well, in many cases, the, the easiest way to do that is to set up a trust, which you know you can do through a lawyer. That would be registered with the Charity Commission in England and Wales or OSCA in Scotland. And provided, obviously, you have a, a clear cause and, and, and an objective, um, you obviously will then start to use the capital and possibly the time, the trustees' time, to support and aid those charities. So it's very simple. I think at the lower level, and clearly we're talking about people who have significant money, at the lower level, you know, you, you can do what you, in a sense, probably have already been doing, which is clearly making donations. Often, you know, the, it's setting up covenants, uh, another issue in terms of writing a, a legacy into your will, again, it's very important and often overlooked. Uh, and, and charities have uh, historically, and I think the, the recently, at least 11% of the income that charities generate has been through legacies. That, that is, you know, the amount of money people leave in their wills. That was Guy Davies, head of charities at Barclays Wealth. For more on all aspects of financial planning, visit ft.com forward slash money. And that's it for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The FT Money Show team and our producers, Blue Barracuda. From me, the FT Money Show team and our producers, Blue Barracuda. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.